Academy Sports and Outdoors wants everyone to stay safe while doing more of what they love. So whether you're planning a fishing trip, heading to the driving range, prepping for your upcoming hunt, or firing up the grill before the big game, we have all the gear you need to enjoy more sports and outdoors. All at the prices that you're going to love. And with the curbside pickup available, it's never been easier to shop all our brands in-store and online at academy.com. Because whatever you love doing, Academy Sports and Outdoors is there to help you have more fun out there. Thank you so much for checking out Bulldogs by the Numbers. My name is Tug Coward along with Brent Rollins from UGASports.com and Pro Football Focus College. Georgia was off last week, so this is more of a where are we in the season? How do we feel about the way the season is moving? And what is the direction that we expect Georgia to go in? Does that mean a New Year's Six Bowl? Does it mean the college football playoff? Where do they go? Do they go to a national championship? Can Stetson Bennett get them to a national championship? We'll talk about all those things. We'll start by comparing the last two offensive coordinators with Todd Munkin, who is at Georgia now. And if you look at the numbers, they're not wildly different. No, and that's when you look at personnel usage, I think Monken is using two tight ends a little more, just just a little bit more than they have in the past. Points per game, yards per game, a little bit less uh, than Cheney in 18, a little bit more than Coley a season ago. Yards per game, only about 10 yards more per game this season through four games than they were a season ago. But there are some numbers that, from an analytics perspective, are trending in the right direction. And specifically, it's use of the passing game. And, and I know folks are very much of the, hey, we need to run the ball. We're RBU. That's who we are what we're about. But as they saw against Alabama, and as you've seen in the past in college football, and as we've talked about on this podcast previously, the passing game sort of rules all. And there are some numbers there that, that lend to the fact that they're moving in the right direction. They're now 54th in the NCAA and the FBS in terms of overall pass percentage, 64th in terms of pass percentage on first and second down, which by the way, you think those are still low? Well, yes, but they were 105th in that number a season ago, and even on first lower and second down, in, yeah, on first and second down with Cheney in 2018. The amount of play action they're using is now 56 in the FBS, so, which again still sort of middle of the pack and, and inching closer to the NCAA average, but better than 102nd that they were a year ago, and 83rd they were uh, with Cheney in 18. The key is just the result-based. What's interesting is when you look back at the data, with Jim Chain in 18, they were very, very run-heavy. But their explosive pass-play percentage was actually 15th in the FBS, i.e. when they threw the ball, they were getting chunk plays in the passing game. And last year, they were 22nd uh, in the FBS. That number is actually lower this year than the previous two years. So they're not getting the chunk plays in the passing game. And a lot of it, and there's a a lot of things that we can sort of dive into. But right now, they're 30th in the FBS in terms of explosive pass play percentage. And just to give some perspective there, Bama's second, Florida's third, and Clemson is ninth. Those teams are getting massive chunk plays and a high percentage of chunk plays in the past. That's another thing that we have talked about on the podcast before is that we're not getting our playmakers involved, Pickens, Cook, and even uh, Kiaris Jackson to a degree. I know Kiaris has been the, the number one target for the most part for Stetson Bennett, but how do we get those guys more involved? Because when you go back and look at explosive plays and how they were better in previous years, you had guys like Jeremiah Holloman and, and Riley Ridley that could go up and yep. make an absolute chunk yardage play, an explosive play. I don't know that we have that now. Do you think we do? Yeah, and you're also missing a guy who's doing pretty well with the Chiefs right now, McCole Hardman. So, sure. you know, when you think about that, because he could obviously take a bubble screen and take it 40 or 50 to the house, and that's that's not necessarily something they have uh, right now. But, you know, when you 
think about how you get those involved. I think that's, in terms of this game this week against Kentucky, that's probably the most intriguing thing to watch is what looks different. And maybe it's you see more quick game or, or RPO type game where the ball is out almost instantaneously and you're getting it outside on the edge, whether that be bubbles, whether that be wide receiver screens, whether that just be quick hitches, things of that nature. Or do you see more tight end or, and or running back involvement in the passing game? Just to, I think as much as anything, Stetson just needs completions. You need to get into that 65 plus percent range in completions to just keep the offense rolling. And I think they're going to be okay. See, that's another thing that I think a lot of Georgia fans worry about is the accuracy. And we talked about this in the last podcast too, coming off the Alabama game that that Stetson, as far as accuracy goes, was number two behind, in a good ways behind Mac Jones. But he was number two after that game. He was like thirteen of fourteen, so he's not in a good position there. He's not in a good place. Can they do? Can they jumpstart? Do you think the passing game at at this point, mid season, can they do that? I think so. I, I very much do. And a lot of it is much like when you think about even last year. Last year with Jake Fromm, first part of the season versus last part of the season, you could just see a completely different quarterback from a confidence perspective. And I think it just takes one or two throws, one or one game to really gain that confidence back and get that rhythm back within an offense and feeling good about themselves. And, and I think you're going to see that. I think you're going to see a lot of the things that we've talked about on here. But, you know, in terms of of what it leads to and how much can the offense really sort of drive uh, the team as it moves forward, that's that's going to be sort of the ultimate question. Yeah, and I was uh, looking at some numbers, and these came from ESPN, and they had UGA, number one defense in college football. From special teams' point of view, number three in the country in college football, number three. And then you go to offense, it was number 49. Yeah, that sounds about right. You know, there's a really good defense, and but the offense is just sort of not coming up with it. And obviously, Alabama's a different realm in terms of playing defense against them, but You'll see them again, hopefully. Yeah, no, I would like to think so, too. But offense means more. I I think that is the exact phrase that you used. And if we don't have that, then can we expect to do anything when we play Alabama again? Man, that's a great question. And I do think it's going to be a little different for Bama now that Jalen Waddle's out, but I still think they can they can be their explosive selves just because of the system that they have and the coaching and the playmakers that they have in place. But I think a lot of it is – small incremental improvements throughout the rest of the season. And the biggest thing is is the next two weeks. The next two weeks are, in essence, your season. You have to beat Kentucky. You have to beat Florida. Once you do that, and if you do that, then the East is, in essence, yours, and you can now set yourself up to get those incremental improvements on a weekly basis, figure out exactly, and by the way, it might change. You never know what happens over two weeks of practice, but I still think Stetson's going to be the guy coming out. But he is you got to win the next two games. The next two games is anything and everything to win the next two games. And because of how Stetson has played this year and because of, I think, the the feel and the vibe and all the things that you've seen, I think he's going to be the guy for those next two weeks. I don't think you're going to see much of either JT Daniels or DeJuan Mathis over the next two weeks. All right, you're listening to Bulldogs by the Numbers. Tug Coward along with Brent Rollins from Pro Football Focus College and UGASports.com. If Stetson is the guy and they're sticking with him and let's say we get through Kentucky, which I expect, you get through Florida, which I expect, again, their defense is atrocious. I think we'll be okay. Can you get to the national championship with Stetson Bennett? If you do get there, can you win? You couldn't win with Jake Fromm, who was much more confident, as you just illustrated a minute ago. I think there's two numbers that are sort of goals when you think about Stetson moving forward. One is completion percentage. When you think about it, he's played in the four games, he's only been above 65% in one, and that was the Arkansas. That was the first game against mm-hmm. Arkansas. If you can see consistently in that 
65% plus, and even right around 70 if you factor in things like drops and throwaways like we do with adjusted completion percentage. If you do that and get to that realm, that's one barometer that for me that I'm going to be watching for. The second is his passing grade from a clean pocket. Now we break at Pro Football Focus, we break down every sort of situation you can think of from a from a passing standpoint. But one of the big things that we do is look at, all right, how does someone perform when there isn't pressure, i.e. clean pocket, when they're under pressure, when they're blitzed versus when they're not blitzed. And those numbers sort of tell a lot about how a quarterback can play. Now, the one part, being under pressure, that's a very unstable number. It's very unpredictable from week to week, game to game, season to season. Because a lot of times they're just that's backyard ball once once you're under pressure. But when a quarterback is in a clean pocket and there's not pressure, it is the most stable of all quarterback metrics. I you play well and you consistently perform from a clean pocket, that is something that is going to carry over from week to week to week to week. He's right now has a seventy six point six passing grade when he's not pressured. And only and he's right at he's sixty nine percent adjusted completion when he's not pressured. So if those numbers can get a tick up where he's just a little more efficient and makes two, three, four, just just that small amount of just better high end, higher end throws from a clean pocket, and you get into the eighty five plus grade from a clean pocket, those two numbers for me, if those two things happen, sixty five percent completion or better, eighty five grade passing grade from a clean pocket or better, I think this offense is going to be a okay and start to start rolling in, in a way. All right, then there's your evidence. If you're a Georgia fan and you're feeling unsure, that's how it has to happen. That's how it can happen. As I've been keeping up with the offense, Brent, I've noticed that uh, Georgia's had a couple exotic looks when it comes to their personnel on offense, but uh, for the most part, it's 11 personnel, 12 personnel, kind of they are who they are. But there is a little bit of difference between Cheney 18, Coley 19, and, and Munkin this year. The look is really very, very similar, but those differences are, uh, slight differences are there. In terms of personnel usage, it is still just that. It's still 11 and 12 personnel. They want to have a tight end on the field at all times. The 12 personnel, I think the usage of 12 personnel this season has gone up. It's right at 27% now. The past few years, right around 23%. I think a lot of that is as much the loss of Dominic Blaylock again, as well as, you know, you just have a lot of young receivers in your rotation. So you're leaning a little bit more, even though you have young tight ends, you're leaning a little bit more on your tight ends. Another interesting thing is look at the use of shifts and motions. It's something that last year with Coley, it was right around 52% of plays. They had some form of shift or motion. And a lot of times it was just a tight end moving, but it was still shift in motion. This season, only 39% of that. And when you look at some of the best offenses, they use that much more extensively. Like, for example, Alabama. Alabama uses a shift into emotions on 61% of plays. When you look at what Kyle Shanahan does in the NFL, and they use it on – they're always in the top one or two in terms of using shifts and motions. So some of those things maybe that you see the second half of the season once the team does a lot of self-scouting, you see a little bit more usage of those types of principles. But in the end, I think the biggest thing for the offense – is just finding some level of consistency. Like for example, one number uh, that we that we track that and a lot of a lot of guys who look at that do data and data analytics now is EPA. And we talked about it a little bit before, but expected points added. It's a great efficiency measure and how well are you sort of moving the ball forward to that are, is leading to points. Right now in terms of positive EPA percentage as in the play is it's a good thing for your offense. There are 41st in the FBS. And then you look at who's first, second, and third. After one week, Ohio State's first. Second is Bama, and third is Florida. So when you think of consistency, 
efficiency and efficiency, those are the offenses that are doing those things. Clemson's not far behind, by the way. So if you get those numbers up and you just have that level of consistency within the offensive game plan and within the offensive execution as much as anything, and that's what we talked about with Stetson and his completion percentage. But once you get there, then I think your offense becomes a whole different world and you can really get into using Todd Munkin's strengths as a play caller. Do you expect that that is something that comes with experience because Todd Munkin is new and they didn't have a spring? Or is that an alibi? Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. I think it's a little bit of an alibi, but it's also one of those things where look at what NFL is a little different, obviously, but year two with Kyle Shanahan is always way, way better. You know, what the Falcons had, the 49ers last year, year two. That's always the second year in that system is when the confidence and the sort of exponential growth happens a lot of times. And obviously you don't have that this year. You don't have, this is year one. You got to figure it out. But I honestly think the bye week came at a perfect time. The this rearranging of the schedule really, I think, worked out in Georgia's favor, allowed them to hopefully reset self-scout as much as anything. And because of, especially because of the importance of the next two games, because they're obviously spending time on both opponents over this time frame. Now that you've had some games, you have some tape, and you can learn as a team as opposed to just instantly preparing for the next opponent, helps them hopefully a great deal as we see them coming off this bye week this week against Kentucky. All right, final thought here on the offense, because I saw where Zamir White says the rushing outbreak is coming soon. And you got the guys that say run the ball. That's what you're successful at. That's what you're good at. You're RBU for a reason. But then you got the other part of the fan base that said, that's vanilla. We want something different. And that's the reason Kirby Smart, and not the reason he brought Monken in, he sees the evolution of college football into a offensive game more than a defensive game. So he saw the, the writing on the wall there, and he's shifting and transitioning probably a little later than most Georgia fans would have liked. But they are making that transition. If you got Zamir White saying there's a, a rushing outbreak coming soon, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. For the efficiency with which they operate, as long as they can do it, you know, and get the six, seven yards a clip that some of the backs have gotten right now. Like when you look at Kendall Milton, he's averaging six yards a carry, he's averaging a little over four yards after contact per carry. You know, and I think you're gonna see a little bit more of him as we come out of the bye week. But the running game, as long as you were doing it and staying out of, I guess, zero, one, two yard type games. If you minimize that and everything is at least four yards and you're staying ahead of the chains in a way, I think the running game for them is going to be a very, very good thing and something you're going to see more and more of. But still yet, it doesn't, you know, I don't know that you're going to see the explosive running plays that, that you're used to seeing and that you've seen, you know, DeAndre Swift break in the past and, and things of that nature. It just hasn't been there. 
with this group. So for Alabama, it seems like the passing game opens up the running game. That's where Georgia wants to be, right? Ideally, because you want to throw the ball around more. You want to be more efficient. You want to have those explosive plays that way to be able to score more points because as Nick Saban and others have shown you, offense is more important. Is that the way Georgia is trending? I think so. And I think when you see some of the numbers that we talked about earlier with in terms of percentage pass, percentage pass on first and second down, use of play action, those numbers as you creep up into sort of closer to NCAA averages and, and really what some of the more explosive teams are doing, and you use the passing game as you, as it should be used, which is just that. The passing game begets the running game. And once they start do that and become efficient in the passing game, and like I said, once they get to where Stetson's in the, you know, above 65% completion, you can get the efficiency up in the passing game. Then I think the running game will very much take off. So let's talk about, because you were talking about grades for Stetson. Let's go through some of the player grades with 70 plus grades. You had nine on the offense, seven on the defense, but there's a few guys who've done better on the defensive side of the ball, and there's a handful of them that have actually gone down in production. And that's the biggest thing about this defense, and when you thought coming into the season, what is my strength and where do I need improvement? Coming into the season, by the way, Georgia had 21 players who last year had at least, like I think, 140 snaps in a, in a 70 or better grade. So now 16, uh, that number has dropped. But in terms of the season coming into it, you thought the secondary is the strongest part of the team. You just you only lost J.R. Reed. You felt really good about Lewis Cena as a replacement. And then everywhere else, you're returning guys who got major snaps a season ago and played really well. So, for example, you had Richard Account, who had an 83.5 coverage grade, and specifically looking at coverage, not overall. Uh, you had Eric Stokes, 78.5. Tyson Campbell at 76.8. DJ Daniel at 72.5. Those guys, that's – and once you get above 70 in our grading system, you're talking about above-average starters. You get into the 80s, you're talking about, you know, all-conference-type players, you know, above 85. You're talking about elite, all-national-level-type players, elite-type players. But those numbers now are completely different. You have accounts is leading the, is leading the team in coverage grade with 70.5 grade. Goodness gracious. Stokes down, down to 63.4. Campbell down to 61.8. Daniel, who's been nicked up obviously a little bit, but down to 56 – or 57.6. So, and when you look at some of the, even more so some of the data in the, in the coverage realm, the completion percentage and the passer rating allowed is just through the roof for some of these, for some of them. And w- obviously when you play Alabama and they got the big plays that they got, it's going to make those numbers skewed a little bit, but still yet on the season as a whole, Lewis seen 125.9 passer rating allowed, Campbell 125 passer rating allowed, Tyreek Stevenson in the slot getting a lot of snaps, but 125.5 and 81% completion in cover in his coverage uh, in, in the in the slot. So big plays, higher completion percentages, and the coverage that you thought was going to be a strength of your team has been a little bit off thus far. And I think that's one of the things over the bye week that you know when you go back and you do a lot of self scouting. Hey, where do we need to be better in certain rounds? The player part of it's not going to change. Those are still their guys. But some little bit of technique things, maybe a little bit of sort of eye discipline and, and things that go wrong in that realm, that might change and hopefully get that sort of better as the season goes on. You say that, and that's a good feeling to think, yeah, okay, we're going to work on that. We're going to be disciplined. We're going to get it done. But the other thing that stood out to me is when you talked about Alabama, you said they, that skewed the numbers. And I get it and I understand what you're saying, but the one thing that makes me still go, it doesn't matter that the numbers are skewed, is because when you get to the college football playoff, you're playing elite-level talent. So those numbers 
will probably rear their ugly head again because that's the type of talent you're playing against. Very much so, but even some of the things when you look at Auburn-Tennessee game, there were receivers who were open for those teams, and behind the defense, the passes weren't hit. There's some inaccuracies from the opposing quarterback versus when you play Mac Jones, and he's putting the ball exactly where it needs to be on a consistent basis. And that's what you're going to see when you get at the highest levels, whether that be the SEC Championship in Bama again, or whether that be in the College Football Playoff if you're fortunate enough to be in that realm. And that, I think, maybe is the most interesting thing is the scheme part of it, how much man zone that they switch up and where it is. Because what was interesting against Alabama is that you could definitely see from a scheme standpoint, Kirby Smart and Dan Lanning's fear was as much about the middle of the field and the sort of deep over routes or, or crossing routes that you saw safeties moving up on those routes. Even the pass to uh, the pass to Waddle for the 90-yard touchdown against Alabama. Lewis seen is sort of moving up to, to come in on that crossing route which leaves Tyson Campbell alone on the outside. So schematically, do they change in the second time around and really truly keep their safeties deep and allow some of that, maybe allow a little bit more of that middle of the field stuff and not leave the corners on the edge uh, by themselves as much as they did. So those are small things, I think, schematically that you can see changes in. But still yet, those guys just have to play better. The bottom line, they have to play better. Yeah, you can't continue down the path that they're on with grading. To have three players that are playing better and one, two, three, four, five, six, like seven or eight players that are playing worse, that is a recipe for disaster for sure. Well, the positive part from the, you know, where, where are we worse versus where are we better? Let's look at the positive yeah, side. Yeah, I like it. The positive side is that getting after the quarterback at a rate that they haven't got after the quarterback since Kirby Smart's been there. You're winning one-on-one battles in the pass rush game. When you look at three primary guys, you look at Adam Anderson, Aziz Ojolari, and Nolan Smith, who are playing at a very, very high level. Anderson and Ojolari are the two highest-rated defenders right now on the team, and with Monty Rice being third. But those two players specifically, and Aziz, by the way, Aziz Ojolari is one of the highest-rated edge defenders in the nation. But compared to last year, those three guys are in the top five in the SEC in pass rush win rate which is what we look at from a one-on-one, are you winning your battle in the pass rush game perspective. That all, that doesn't obviously always lead to a pressure. You know, the ball gets out, the quarterback rolls the other way, things of that nature happen. But you winning your one-on-one battles at the rate that they're winning right now, which Adam Anderson at 31%, Ojalari at 23.5%, Nolan Smith at right at 26%. That's almost double-digit, almost double-digit increases for each of those guys from a year ago. And then also when you look at just their overall presser percentage, again, almost 3 to 4% increase. And even in Nolan Smith's case, he, he's doubled his pressure percentage from a year ago. When you're winning there and you get those continual one-on-one battles that you're winning in the pass rush game, that's going to help your coverage players at least a little bit. So hopefully if that continues and then the coverage part plays a little bit better, now you have the recipe for true success against passing games, which you're going to need in two weeks. All right, let's look ahead. This is Bulldogs by the Numbers. Tug Cowart with Brent Rollins from UGASports.com and Pro Football Focus. Let's look at uh, Georgia, Kentucky. I don't fear Kentucky. Uh, you call me arrogant? I don't know. As a Georgia fan, I don't fear Kentucky. And for a little while in the early part of the season, I felt a little nervous about Florida because I was constantly fed that I was supposed to be afraid of Florida. That has kind of changed, but we'll, I mean, you can address that if you'd like. But Kentucky, they don't scare me whatsoever. Well, it's, it's a strength versus strength type game in that their strength is their line of scrimmage game. And their offensive line is one of the highest graded in the country as a, as a unit, some of the highest individual grades in the country. And they can do things in the running game. 
However, that's obviously Georgia's strength is defending the run, especially being able to defend the run when the threat of the pass is not as much as what, what we saw, obviously, with Alabama. I think you're going to find Kentucky struggle as long as they – now, if they somehow get a running game going and hit a few big plays and will get a lead early in this game, it could be interesting. But I don't think you're going to see them have running success, and I think it's going to be put on you know Wilson or Joey Gatewood, however much whoever plays for them but at quarterback. But it, I, I feel like this is a game that's that sets up well for Georgia. The only thing that when you look at how Georgia's played over the past few weeks versus how Kentucky has also played over the past few weeks is Kentucky's secondary is playing better and better each week and getting turnovers and lots and lots of turnovers. And if you throw the ball to them and let them you know, turn it over, they're going to turn it into points. And that you know, obviously that's something that first and foremost you can't do. Yeah, right. Let's go back to the running portion of the Kentucky offense. Since what, the second game of the season, they've not cracked 300 yards in a game and, and been held under 160 total yards twice. So it's not like their offense is clicking on all cylinders. No, and teams are doing just that as they're – forcing Terry Wilson to beat them in the passing game, running, slowing down the running game as best they can and putting them in situations that aren't conducive for that, for that offense. But you know, it's, it's amazing when you think about, now granted everybody's played well against Ole Miss's defense, but what Kentucky was able to do the first couple of weeks of season from a yardage, stand, just from a sheer yardage standpoint versus the past few weeks, they are very much an enigma in terms of what they have been. And you, know, you think ideally they rest somewhere in the middle, but Hey, they're at home. You know, obviously this is a big game and this is the sort of the giant in the East. So you're going to get a much different Kentucky team than you saw a week ago against Missouri. Yeah. And so uh, what's your prediction? I think Georgia wins the game. I think Georgia wins the game relatively comfortably. In I my think so too. Yeah, I think so too. And and I'm not trying to I'm not slapping at Kentucky. They've what they've been able to do in the last three, four, five years has been remarkable. They went from a complete basketball school to at least being respectable on the football field. So I don't want to downplay that. I just feel like Georgia is in pretty good shape to win this handily. They're favored by two touchdowns. I think that sounds about right. That's a good number. Yeah, I think that's going to be uh, about where it is, too. That's it. Bulldogs by the numbers. And if you'd like, go to ugasports.com or pff.com and click on subscribe. So for PFF, for the first time this year, you can buy access to the college grade. Just $30 a year and premium starts at $120. ugasports.com is $99.95 a year. Insider information on the team, recruiting, and all things Georgia Bulldogs. We appreciate you listening to Bulldogs by the numbers. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Have a great day. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps it $5 minimum balance required. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.